I think we're good to go. <coughs> well, we've come to the main message portion of our service now, so I hope you have your Bibles handy. And uh, we'll start with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word. Not just uh, the living word, Jesus Christ, but also your written word. Because when we read it, it teaches us more about you. It is a window that we look through to uh, come to understand you better as you reveal yourself to us. So we pray that you reveal yourself in a powerful way today. Help us to come to a deeper understanding of what Jesus accomplished on earth and uh, our part in it. So we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the title of the sermon today is Rivers of Living Water. And I'd like to start off by talking to you a little bit about uh, the Pool of Siloam. The Pool of Siloam in Jerusalem. Uh, This pool, and if you could maybe picture the size of it, you would look at this room and then uh, look at maybe a smaller rectangular pool of water and on the side of it, steps and seats going up on all four sides. That's the Pool of Siloam, about how big it was and how big it it still is. They just rediscovered it in the year 2004 in Jerusalem. And uh, you could uh, Google it and see pictures of it, or you can travel to Jerusalem and actually touch the water that's in it. Still exists today. And it's a, a, a small body of water, but yet so vital for the people of Jerusalem. Uh, Centuries earlier, King Hezekiah, and you could read about it in the Old Testament, actually had the idea for the sake of the security of the people of Jerusalem, he went way out and found some springs and he dug a tunnel, actually 200 feet long through solid rock so that the water from the spring could come kind of secretly into the the city of Jerusalem, into this pool, so that if the city of Jerusalem was ever besieged by invading armies, the people could stay within the city and still have fresh water, which they so desperately would need. So the Pool of Siloam had been there for centuries. It was there in Jesus' day. And it was also used for ritual cleansing, for purification rites, Because it was located so close to the temple in Jerusalem, it was used for a special ceremony during the Feast of Tabernacles. So during the Feast of Tabernacles, every morning during the feast, we know that the feast was eight days long. So for the first seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles, every morning, the priest would take a golden vessel down to the pool of Siloam, and he would fill it with water, and take it back to the altar amid the joyous shouts of the people. Imagine a whole parade of worshipers and flutists led by the temple priest to the pool of Siloam. The priest had actually two golden pitchers, one of which was for wine. He filled the other with water from the pool. As the musicians played, a choir of Levites chanted Psalm 118 which says, open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you for you have answered me and you have become my salvation. Psalm 118 is a prophetic psalm, actually about Jesus Christ, 
It contains the, the phrase, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. So after the scriptures were chanted, the whole procession headed back to the temple and a silver trumpet sounded three times. The priest approached the altar where two beautiful golden basins were waiting. He poured wine into one basin as a drink offering to the Lord, and he poured water from the pool of Siloam into the other. The whole ceremony with the parade and the flutes and the singing was so wonderful that one ancient rabbi wrote, quote, Anyone who has not seen this water ceremony has never seen rejoicing in his life, unquote. The ceremony was to thank God for his bounty and to ask him to provide rain for the crops in the coming year. It is said that this ceremony developed from a reading of Isaiah 12, which says of a future time, therefore you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, make them remember that his name is exalted. So there's a ceremony that took place every morning during the Feast of Tabernacles for the first seven days. And it was a very special ceremony for the Jews. Now on the eighth day of the feast, also called the last great day, the ritual was not repeated. It was only done the first seven days of the feast. Now on that eighth day of the feast, we find out what Jesus did. Turn with me to John chapter 7. Verse 37, John 7, verse 37. So here we are on the last great day of the feast, the eighth day. And this is what it says. John 7, verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. Now he is standing at the pool of Siloam right now. If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Verse 39, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So on the eighth day of the feast, the day that no water was poured by the priest, Jesus offers the water of life. Jesus was saying that he was the wellspring of salvation, of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke. He was the Messiah, the Lord's anointed one. If the people would only believe in him, he would quench their spiritual thirst. So you see, water is very important. It was vitally important to the Jews. We take water for granted today. All we have to do is go to any faucet and turn it, and water comes through. All the water we would ever need. But in Israel, in ancient Jerusalem, water was scarce. And in fact, that pool of Siloam, with the spring water coming through, was the only real source of fresh water they had for the whole city. So you can imagine how desperate they were for water on a daily basis. If it wasn't for that spring, they wouldn't have any. 
So Jesus gets up and he, he takes that opportunity. He uses that setting to say, hey, listen, I represent living water. Just as you desperately need physical water to survive, I'm bringing you a different kind of water. And as the scripture goes on to say here, he's talking about how if people accept him, believe in him, recognize him as Savior, as the Messiah, as the Son of God, he's going to provide for them a special kind of water. The Holy Spirit, which they need even more than physical water. What was the response to what Jesus said? Well, let's read here in verse uh, 40. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is a prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him for wrong purposes, but no one laid a hand on him because it wasn't time yet for him to die. So the Feast of Tabernacles provided a time for the Jews to remember how God had delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, how he had provided for them in the wilderness. They dwelt in booths or tabernacles in the wilderness, and that's why they put booths up or tabernacles every year for the Feast of Tabernacles. Here God was providing his son to deliver them out of slavery and bondage to sin. So just as they were remembering how God saved them out of Egypt, out of slavery and bondage there, here on the Feast of Tabernacles, as they were celebrating that in the past, Jesus was saying, as the Son of God, I have come to save you from your sins. Bondage and slavery to sin. So Jesus is comparing physical thirst, which the people had on a daily basis, to spiritual thirst. Jesus offered the Holy Spirit to anyone who would believe in him. And it's funny that the Jews on this day, or, or during the Feast of Tabernacles, were singing the words of what Isaiah had prophesied centuries earlier, describing what Jesus would do at this time. Isaiah 12, verses 3 through 6, where he talked about waters of salvation. Jesus came to fulfill that in his day. So, a very interesting story, tying Jesus in with the Feast of Tabernacles. Water is very important. Water, in this sense, represents the Holy Spirit, which we have. So think of it this way. Just as every day we have to have water, you know, we get thirsty. So we drink things, either water itself or things with water in it. And if we didn't have water, we would become dehydrated and eventually die. So God created us to need physical water, but as Jesus explains here, there's another kind of water that we all desperately need, a spiritual water which represents the Holy Spirit. So water is a very interesting symbol used in the Bible. Uh, let me write something down for you here, something I just learned and discovered. The Hebrew word for water is M A. Y, I, M. 
mayim, that's water. The Hebrew word for heaven is shah mayim. Water, heaven. So water is a very important symbol to Jesus and to us as well. Does that mean that uh, the Holy Spirit, of course, is at work in heaven and will be for all eternity? And uh, in this case, Jesus uses the symbol of water to demonstrate the Holy Spirit and his pervasiveness in our lives. And the Holy Spirit certainly will be in heaven when we get there. So here's Jesus Christ during the days of, or the Feast of Tabernacles when Israel is looking back to a physical rescue from God coming out of Egypt, and Jesus presents himself as the spiritual rescue for Israel and for all people. There are many different uh, prophecies uh, in the Old Testament that uh, are fulfilled in this instance and in this uh, happening by Jesus Christ at the Pool of Siloam on the Feast of Tabernacles. Turn with me back to uh, Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, we remember an event that happened back here in the days of Moses. In fact, shortly after he brought Israel out of Egypt. Exodus 17 and verse 6. Moses brought Israel out of Egypt and there they were starting their journey across the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And of course, they needed to be provided for in their time in the wilderness. They had to have food to eat. God provided manna for them. They needed to have water to drink. So you know what? They're going through a, a wilderness, kind of a desert area, and water is very scarce. But notice what happens here in Exodus 17, verse 6. Uh, he says in verse 5, The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. And go, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So God provides a miracle. Water is going to come out of a rock. Imagine that. That's a miracle for sure. But what did that represent? Well, we read here in 1 Corinthians 10. Let's turn to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. It's talking about uh, the Israelites in the wilderness. Verse uh, 2 of 1 Corinthians 10, he's talking about the Israelites. He says, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse 3, they all ate the same spiritual food, manna. In verse 4, and they drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So ever wonder why God provided a miracle of water coming from a rock? Well, it looked ahead to this day. When Jesus talked about salvation like water coming from him, he was going to provide uh, a water, uh, a living water for the people to drink, that they would receive the Holy Spirit once they believed in Him and repented, and the kind of spirit, the kind of water that would provide for them eternally. Keep in mind, too, that water is something we need on a daily basis. 
And we don't drink of that water just one time when we're baptized. You know, when we accept Jesus, when we confess our sins and, and at first receive the Holy Spirit, no, we need to do that on a daily basis. Just like we need to drink water daily, we need more of the Holy Spirit daily. We need more of Jesus Christ daily. And when we don't have that, you know, when we're not coming to worship Him on a regular basis, when we're not reading His Word, when we're not in prayer with God, we start to get like a person who stops drinking liquids. And when you become dehydrated, now, I remember uh, a, the neighbor that I had who lived across the street from me, an elderly gentleman, and there were times where he would just forget to drink some water. And he would start to get very weak. He would start to even hallucinate. That's what happens when you don't drink water, when you get dehydrated. And they had to, you know, real quick put an IV in him to get some liquid, to get some uh, nourishment going through his system, and then he would revive the same thing would happen to us physically if we didn't have water. But you know what? The same thing happens to us spiritually when we're not drinking of that living water provided to us by God. Amen. We start to uh, get confused spiritually. We start to drift away from God spiritually. We start to get weakened spiritually. Our faith might be weakened. Our understanding of God's word might be weakened. We kind of cut ourselves off from prayer and we can eventually die spiritually by not having that living water to drink on a regular basis. Let's turn to Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 8. Zechariah is the second last book of the Old Testament. Here is Zechariah prophesying what we just read about, what Jesus just did in Jerusalem. Zechariah 14 and verse 8. Now sometimes we take these prophecies and we're trying to project it far into the future, even our future. But I think at the pool of Siloam on that eighth day of the feast, Jesus fulfilled this. It says in Zechariah 14 verse 8, On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem. Now I, I remember looking at that verse thinking, well isn't that something? You know, sometime in the, in the far, far future after Jesus returns and we're all kind of hanging around Jerusalem, all of a sudden, water's going to start to flow out of there. No, I think that this verse was fulfilled for all intents and purposes on the day we just read about, the eighth day of the feast, when Jesus spoke his words. It says, on, the, the, on that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea, in summer and in winter. And the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord, and his name the only name. So instead of just looking in the future for that to be fulfilled, think about what Jesus did and what he said on that day, because that's when salvation began. Let me narrow it down even more. John 19 and verse 34. John 19 and verse 34. When did salvation start to be available? When did living water, when did the Holy Spirit start to be available to the people? Well, it had to do with Jesus' death on the cross. And it's interesting how John... Uh, 
portrays this and how he explains this. In John 19 and verse 34, he's talking about Jesus' death on the cross. And at the time Jesus died, remember a soldier, just to make sure he was dead, pierced Jesus' side with a sword, with a spear rather. And they were going to come to break the legs of those uh, being crucified who were still alive, but Jesus was dead. And it says in verse 34, Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. I always was confused about that verse, thinking, what in the world? If you get stabbed, I know blood's going to come out, but what caused a whole bunch of water to come out in this case? Well, John, who told this story about Jesus at the Pool of Siloam and how he said that he is going to provide living water for the people to drink, it's the same John who wrote this account of Jesus' crucifixion. And I think what he was trying to explain here is at the point of Jesus' death, that's when this living water started to be available. We could not drink of the living water had Jesus not died for our sins and become our Savior. So his death was necessary. Now, of course, we know he was going to be buried and stay in the tomb for three days and three nights. Then he was going to be resurrected. And it wasn't until he eventually went up to heaven that he said that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And that happened on the day of Pentecost. So John carefully explains that when Jesus died, okay, that's the point where now the Holy Spirit, the living water, is going to be made available. It's going to come from Jesus. He's going to send the Holy Spirit after he ascends up to heaven. And that's why only he explained Jesus' death as a matter of not only blood coming out of his body, but water. Living water, if you will, symbolizing the Holy Spirit that he would send to all believers. Notice also in Ezekiel chapter 47, back here to the Old Testament, another prophecy about uh, what Jesus did. And again, uh, a lot of times when we read these prophecies, we think, well, I haven't seen anything like this, so this must be talking about the far distant future. Maybe long into the future after Jesus returns and in this case, it's a very physical description of something that's going to happen in Jerusalem. But I think it really applies to what Jesus accomplished by his death, by his sending of the Holy Spirit. It's a very detailed prophecy talking about what it's going to look like in Jerusalem. Talking about a river flowing from the temple in Jerusalem. Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 47 verse 1, the man, the angel, brought me back to the entrance of the temple. So this is a vision that he had of something that was going to happen in Ezekiel's future. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was flowing from the south side. So, you know, I... I would always read this prophecy and think, oh, God's going to get into the irrigation business in the future after Jesus returns and, uh, you know, Jerusalem's rebuilt. And it's interesting how he's going to have water flowing everywhere. Well, I don't think this prophecy is just a matter of 
the water conditions in the city of Jerusalem after Jesus returns, he's talking about the same thing that Jesus was talking about, that Jesus would accomplish by his death on the cross and later sending the Holy Spirit. And this is something that actually is happening today with the flow of the Holy Spirit from God to all believers. Verse 3, as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. So the water's starting to flow more. It started a little bit. And I think he's portraying that as more and more people come to believe in Jesus, there's more of the Holy Spirit flowing. Even today. He measured off another thousand cubits, led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? And he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. So this river gives life. It produces living things, growth. There will be a number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to en en Eglam. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Wow, what kind of trees are these? Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So like I said, a lot of times I think of, wow, that's going to be fantastic. In the future, after Jesus returns and all this agriculture in Jerusalem, no, the water represents the Holy Spirit. And he's kind of portraying here in a physical sense the fruit of the Spirit, the growth that will take place in people's lives. Don't forget, we're told in the Bible that we as Christians should be producing fruit in our lives. Not physical fruit. We don't produce apples and oranges and bananas and things like that. We're producing a spiritual fruit through what? Through the Holy Spirit. Our lives are changing. You know, the, the saltiness and the things that are dead are being replaced by good things that are now alive in our lives. Things that are pleasing God. Don't forget what it says back here in Galatians chapter 5. If I were to ask you, where does it talk about the fruit of the Spirit? Well, you probably could have told me. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 22. So just as this river's flowing out of Jerusalem, and all of a sudden trees are sprouting up, there's life in the water, there's fish, there's all kinds of good things happening and being produced, the, the river started out slow, ankle deep, then it went up to knee deep, then it's up to waist deep. Now it's so deep that people can swim in it. It's talking about the growth of the Holy Spirit, 
the, the growth of the amount of water that's flowing out. Why? Because more and more people are accepting Jesus as their Savior, are believing in his name, are becoming Christians, are becoming followers and disciples of Jesus. So more and more of the Holy Spirit is being made available. And more and more growth is taking place. And as Paul says here in Galatians 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law because these are the things God is producing in your life. These are all good things. So the parts of our lives that used to be dead and salty and withered are now being replaced by the things that are good, the things that are produced by the Holy Spirit. So we sin less often because we have more of the Holy Spirit. In each of our lives, the Holy Spirit has gone from ankle deep to knee deep to waist deep, and now we're swimming in the Holy Spirit because it's plenteous. The Holy Spirit is guiding our life because we're yielding to Him. We're not fighting against Him anymore. We're not refusing the transformation process that God is doing in our life. Now we're accepting it. We're participating in it. So because of that, the Holy Spirit becomes more effective in our lives. And he is producing this fruit in each of our lives. So if you think that these prophecies only apply to some future time when God is going to do landscaping around the city of Jerusalem and he's creating rivers and you can go fishing, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the work of Jesus Christ. The work that started on the cross, portrayed by the spear going in his side, and not only blood coming out, but now water. It's the water that he talked about when he was at the pool of Siloam. It is the living water. Not just water to drink when you're thirsty, it's water that you enjoy when you're spiritually thirsty. When there's a hole in your life because you don't know God. And you're going through this life wondering, what is wrong? What is missing in my life? It's what's going on in the lives of so many millions of people in the world today and in our country today. They don't have answers to the questions. They don't have solutions to the problems that they're experiencing in their life. There's no hope, you see. But God has given us hope because he has given us a living water, the Holy Spirit, which is sent to us by Jesus Christ. Not to everybody, but to those who believe. And just like when Jesus gave this explanation at the pool of Siloam, we understand exactly what he's talking about. We're not wondering, who is this guy and what is he saying? He doesn't make sense to us. No, through the Holy Spirit, he has given us an understanding of exactly what Jesus was saying. And he has welcomed us now into a relationship with him, a relationship that we will enjoy for the rest of our lives and then even on beyond that. Because the relationship we have with God transcends death. It transcends death. So it is a never-ending relationship. So you see, by Jesus doing what he did at the Pool of Siloam, he's offering salvation. And he offers us that same salvation today. The same Holy Spirit to anyone who will repent and believe in him for the forgiveness of sin. And like I said, the living waters are not something we just enjoy one time when we 
are baptized, when we become Christians, and then we kind of, well, we've done our job, we're saved, uh, we just go along our merry way now. No. Just as you need physical water on a daily basis, you need living water on a daily basis as well. Amen. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. And again, in, instead of picturing this passage as some future time that won't happen until decades or, or centuries later, after Jesus' return, after the kingdom of God is set up on the whole earth, think of this verse being fulfilled today. And think of this verse being fulfilled in your life and how it applies to you. It says in Revelation 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So it's not just a physical river, but it is a river that is happening now, a river that started flowing when Jesus died on the cross and then through the day of Pentecost and continuing on and on and on, getting deeper and deeper as the flow increases. So a river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, Jerusalem in this case, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. That is something that's happening in your life and my life today. Amen. God is providing healing. God is providing salvation. Verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. Why? Because we know the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And that light now shines in each of our lives. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Notice also verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. That's not just a future happenstance. That is happening now, today. That has happened in our lives. We have accepted Jesus as our Savior. We now are swimming <laughs> in the Holy Spirit, if you will, because he portrayed it that way. At one time it was up to our ankles, then our knees, then our waist. Now we have free and total access to that Holy Spirit who is transforming our lives according to God's purpose for us. So what a beautiful analogy, water. Something we use on a daily basis. It's so easy for us. We don't have to go to a well or a pool to fetch water 
We live in a country where water is so available. We live close to the Great Lakes. And because of that, water is so available to us. Next time you turn on the spigot and open it up for water to fill the bathtub or to turn on the shower or to turn on the sink, think about how much you need the living water, Jesus Christ, and how it is so available to us. All we have to do is put forth the effort and that water will rise up in our lives to the point that we can enjoy it, we can swim in it, and have all of the benefits that the Holy Spirit provides for us. But well, we're going to have a communion service now.